So this is Colossians 2, verse 1 to 7. I want you to know how hard I am contending, contending for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom we are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Um, I please accept my apologies. I've been an emotional wreck during that worship. And um, thank you, uh, Jack and Libby and Andrew. Just absolutely stunning. I, um, yeah, absolutely brilliant. <clears throat> I, um, from, the, from the moment you started that first song, I just was so overwhelmed with the love of God. And I was overwhelmed with this sense of do you know how much he loves you? And, um, and I, I kept asking the question for myself, have I got any clue how much he loves me? And I, I love to think that I do, but the more I think about it, the more I realize I don't. Because every time I come into an environment where he's present, something fresh about his love for me comes. And it's perhaps maybe something I haven't heard before, or it's something that I haven't felt in some time. And it's just this constant, um, ongoing shift that's, that happens in our walk with God, doesn't it? So I'm a bit, um, bit of a wreck. Um, and, um, but let's, um, let's, let's try and get somewhere. So um, the passage I picked for today is um, Colossians chapter 2, uh, as, you, as you saw, verses 1 to 7. And it might seem like um, an unusual passage to pick, um, but there is a, a, a reasoning behind it. Um, the, the main one being the Holy Spirit drew me to it um, and not to anything else. Um, today we're sort of continuing in our series on intimacy. Um, so today we're thinking about intimacy with God and intimacy with others. And, uh, you know, thinking about what that means in terms of who we are as the church, who we are in the body of Christ. So here, in this passage in Colossians, we hear Paul writing to us, and he says in verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. That struggle is simply the fact that he's in prison, and he is struggling with everything that's happening to him, um, and he's in prison because he's been you know, seeking to grow the church. And so the authorities don't like it. He's been locked up, and he's writing from prison. Paul doesn't know the church in Coloss. He has not met them personally. Um, it's been Timothy who's been operating it, which is why the letter is written from Paul and Timothy, um, we're told at the beginning of the book. And um, so Paul doesn't know them, and he references, I think he referenced that in the passage today, but he's, he goes on to say, um, uh, verse 1 still, the struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face. There's the indicator that he's not met these people, okay? So he's not seen them face to face. So he's heard about them through Timothy. Um, and then he says this thing here, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding that the knowledge 
of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then he goes on to say, I say this so that no one might deceive you, or your Bibles might say something else. I want to just give a little background to this um, before we kind of get into uh, where I'm heading. And that's simply to say, um, the letter of Colossians was written to a church that was struggling with heresy. And uh, not a huge amount is known about the very specifics of the Colossian heresy. Um, All we have, information-wise, in the world today about the heresy at Coloss is what's written in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. So that's all that we really know, but we can draw strands from other things we know about times around the Bible. So the the heresy in Coloss basically centered around ascetism. Now we see that in the passage. So in verse uh, 23, I think it's also in verse 18, you will see that word ascetism. Ascetism was strict self-denial. It was a way to kind of overcome, if you like, the matters of the flesh. Um, A bit like today, we might do fasting. Uh, Perhaps you're fasting something for Lent. Um, Sometimes we might go on a sort of a lighter fast, and sometimes we might go on a full-on fast where we're not eating for a period of time. It might be a day, it might be a month, um, or it might even be longer, as I know some people in this room have done. There are uh, all sorts of fasts that we may be called to as the Lord, you know, uh, works with us in our walk with him. But ascetism was, was, was more than that, and I'll come back to it in a moment. Um, another core issue around the Colossian heresy was special knowledge. And there was a, a sense that there was a knowledge beyond that which had been revealed Um, through Jesus himself, through the uh, Old Testament scriptures that they had and the fragments of letters that had come from, you know, Paul or or, if they'd had access to the gospel accounts, etc. It was a sort of a divinely, so, so you know, how they understood it, a divinely revealed knowledge. And some of this knowledge subverted the nature of Christ. We don't know exactly how, but we know that it did. So those are some of the core things. There was also an aspect, which I think is in verse 23. Um, You can check if I've got this right. But Paul uses the language of the worship of angels. So there's another aspect of the heresy that we know about. Now, when we piece all that together, it looks like a form of Gnosticism. Now, if you know anything about Gnosticism, Gnosticism is not to do with somebody who's agnostic, in, their, in a, you know, a journey of faith. Agnostic is, I think there might be something, but I'm not quite sure. Um, yeah, I could see that it might be true, but I'm not sure where I stand with it. That's what we would call an agnostic. Gnosticism is not that. Um, Gnosticism is a heresy that the origins go back to Simon Magus. Simon Magus, you'll remember from Acts chapter 8, tried to buy the power of the Holy Spirit when he was with Philip. And, of course, that all went a bit wrong. Well, the continuation of the story, um, if we look back in other texts, texts, is that Simon Magus went on to become what, who's known as the father of all heresy. Arrhenius, a church historian, called him the father of all heresy. And the core heresy that he created was Gnosticism. And... Um, Gnosticism operates around a number of things. The core package around Gnosticism is nousis, which is where the word comes from, which is this divinely revealed, well, it's not divinely revealed, but that's how they understood it, a revealed knowledge which goes beyond what was known. But it was coupled with something else, um, which is the idea that the... Uh, The spiritual world, uh, the divine world, was really important and powerful 
and what we were all about. And this goes back to the Gnostic understanding of how the world was created. And I'm not going to get into it because I haven't got time. It's quite an interesting story, but I'm really sorry I haven't got time to go into it. But for various reasons, they believed in um, a number of deities, and they believed that the, the, the biggest sort of deity was like the foundation of all things, and they believed that this deity was unknowable, and um, a few other things. Uh, they, they used words like ineffable, like you, you could not understand this deity, um, and was not kind of accessible. These sorts of ideas were going around about this deity. And that was the key spiritual being um, that underpinned everything. However, there was another deity, a lower deity, which they understood as um, the personification of wisdom falling and that deity becoming the deity that created the material world, creation as we know it. And so the material world was bad and the spirit world was good. And that's the heart underneath Gnosticism. You might think, well, that's all very interesting, but where on earth are you going with it? Gnosticism, sadly, um, is alive and well in the church today. Now, I'm not saying it's alive and well here. I hope it's not. But I think you might start to see, as I speak a little more, patterns of where it is emerging. Okay? Um, does this make sense so far? Am I, not, I hope I'm not losing you. It's good. Okay. Um, good news. Let me just check I haven't missed anything that I wanted to say on that. Uh, I got all that. Great. Okay. So, in the letter, um, Paul is addressing this, this problem, this uh, split between the spirit world and the material world. And of course, if you know anything about the theology of Jesus, or what we might call Christology, the theology of Christ, we know that he was fully God, so fully divine, but he was also fully man, fully flesh. And here's where the, the heresy hit, because um, the, the, the false teachers of the time were subverting the nature of Christ by misunderstanding who he was. Either he was a man and therefore um, flesh and material and therefore not divine, or he was divine and shouldn't be associated with flesh. So this warped the teaching and the understanding of who Jesus was, which is a huge problem. And we know now, of course, with hindsight, with uh, all the understanding that has come and the, the sort of study of the scriptures in light of the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. We know this now. Um, but let's just uh, ask a couple of questions. When Jesus died and rose again, what state was he in when he rose again? Anyone want to have a go? Don't worry if um, you can just sort of speak out your answers. Don't shout too loud because I'm not allowed to do that. But um, you can speak it out loudly. A spiritual state. Thanks, Tiggs. So he was in a spiritual state as he was resurrected. Was he in another state? Glorified, thank you. Anything else? Thank you. Yeah, human. When he rose again, did he leave his body in the tomb? So he rose in his humanity, right? His humanity was raised from the dead. Yeah? I hope you agree with that, because if you're not, you're a bunch of Gnostics. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, so he rose again in his humanity and in his spirit. His divine nature rose. Uh, there's some big questions around, did his divine nature die? We're not going there. But he definitely died in his human nature. But he rose again, okay, in his human nature. Then he hung out with the disciples and did a few things. And then he ascended to the heavens. In what state did he ascend to the heavens? 
<laughs> like things, a heavenly state. Let's unpack it further. So uh, his heavenly state, his, his spiritual state, what happened to his body when he ascended? Yeah, his physical body ascended, his human nature, his human form ascended, and where is it now? It is on the right-hand side of God the Father. There is a human being sitting on the right-hand side of God the Father, and he represents us. He represents you and I. Why? Because the human world, the physical world, is important. It's vital. It's absolutely part of God's creation. It's redeemed in the, you know, the fullness of the gospel as we understand it. We have been set free from the uh, powers of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, and brought into the kingdom of the son that he loves, the light of Christ, etc. The human condition that, that we are, the human physical embodiment of everything in our spirit that is now physically manifested in the animations that I'm doing right here, is, has a perfection about it. You know that, uh, you'll remember all this, but at the end of the creation account, um, uh, you know, and, and God rests and he saw that it was good. The human physical world was good. So, I, I think you all agree with that, and I hope so. But, there are essences of this, um, and this is where I'm going to bring it into what we're going after. Um, there are essences of uh, this understanding that I think are perhaps broken in the church. Let me give you an example. Um, uh, when I was... Um, Leading in a church uh, one time, though it wasn't here, the worship was about, well, I won't say how long ago it was, it was a while ago, but um, the worship leader was leading worship, and we were all gathered there in the church environment. It was a Sunday morning, Sunday service. And there I was, the worship started, and the worship leader was doing this sort of prophetic stuff. Now, a lot of the time, I'm absolutely down with that. I love it, and I, I engage with the Lord through it. It's quite powerful stuff. On this occasion, I wanted to vomit. And you might think, gosh, that's offensive. How could you feel like that? How could you feel so sickened in the presence of the Lord? And I'll tell you what was going on in my eye. I was looking around. There were loads of children in... Oh, it's going to get me all choked up. There were loads of children gathered around the front as this worship... It was worship, I can't deny that. It, as this worship was going on. And this worship leader was kind of... Uh, she, had, she was playing the guitar. She had her head sort of up, um, addressing the father. And just giving all of her attention to him. She hadn't got a clue what was going on in the room in front of her. And these kids were just going, what the heck is this all about? And I was looking around the room and people were just bored, disconnected, unengaged. That is a modern form of Gnosticism. Because what it is doing is going, this, this connection I have with God is far more important and far more valuable than the environment that I am in right now. This doesn't matter. You, 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 you don't matter to me. All that matters is this. And that is a subversion of the gospel. It's a subversion of the very nature of Christ. Because he was fully God, but he was fully human. And a true expression of worship has to embody those two things. Because if we don't, it comes into this thing which is the super spiritual. And then it just disconnects everybody. That's one way you might see this slight form of Gnosticism play out. Now I know this, the lady that was leading worship, I knew her well. 
Okay, and we spoke about it afterwards in a very gentle way about how to address, readdress the balance. So don't hear that I'm saying that she was evil. Not at all. This was a passionate, hungry, fiery Christian who loved the Lord, no question. And she also loved people. But in that one moment, something was going on that was not healthy. And it needed to be addressed. Um, And so very often, in all the, the rightness of our hearts, we can without knowing it, operate out of a, uh, a position which is not fully true to who the Father is, fully true to who Jesus is, and fully true to what and who he's called us to be. Um, there are other ways that this plays out. Um, a- another one, that, um, a-, a friend of mine was talking about how he, um, he loved animals because animals don't answer back. He loved animals because they let you, if you, you know, he was talking about sort of particularly dogs he was talking about. You know, if, you, if you've had a dog or you, you, know, you know people who've got dogs, they just crave affection normally. I mean, there are some probably that don't, but most of the dogs I know do. And they, if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile, right? If you just sort of pat them on the head, you can't flip and get rid of them. <laughs> you know that thing? Dogs, they just, they lap it up. And, and it's almost like a person can feel, and I, this is fine to feel this, there's no issue with this, this bond and this sort of, almost this love connection with, with a dog or maybe it's a cat or whatever it is, um, or rabbit or something. But it's particularly with dogs, isn't it? And, um, and that's, there's something beautiful about that. But then he said to me that, you know, I just, I don't really like people. I can't be doing with people. And this guy's a Christian, and I'm like, oh, it doesn't really work, does it? You know, you can't be doing with people, but you're called to be part of the body of Christ, which is <laughs> a lot of people. Um, and, and uh, you know, it, again, it's, it's almost a sense that people are bad. The physical world is bad. Here's another teaching that I've heard in, in churches um, or in the Christian community Um, the spirit and anything spiritual and truth is good emotions are bad have you ever heard that complete utter rubbish it is nonsense emotions are not bad they they can um, if we're not in you know in right relationship with God they can get the better of us but they're not bad. Emotions can't be bad. Our behavior can be bad, but our emotions are our emotions, our feelings. Jesus felt. You know, God felt. You, you talk, you, in the Old Testament, we hear about God being jealous. That's an emotion, isn't it? We hear about him being angry. That's an emotion, isn't it? We, of course, we hear all the amazing stuff, that he's compassionate and loving and kind. Um, in the New Testament, we go to seeing Jesus at the temple, and he's expressing it's righteous, but he's expressing anger when he flips the tables upside down, the tables of the money changes. We go to Gethsemane, where he agonizes to the point that his, um, the sweat starts to pool like blood, and that is a known physical condition of uh, extraordinary stress. The emotions are not bad. That, you know, we can't say that. And there's a form of Gnosticism that would say, oh, don't don't listen to your feelings. But this is what happens if you don't listen to your feelings. You get uh, Christians who typically will jump around all the conferences um, waiting for the next fix because they can't face journeying through their pain. And so they're looking for a miracle solution when Jesus says, come with me, I need to take you through this wall or through, you know, the old language of the dark night of the soul, St. John of the Cross. The journey through whatever it is that is difficult right now in my life or in something else. So here we go. Bring this right home to last week. Now you guys know that uh, we've... uh, 
had a, a tragic situation in our church where a beautiful couple called Phil and Lily lost their baby Evelyn at nine days old. Horrific situation. Now, because it's one of those situations where there's a lot of pain, a lot of confusion, we don't know how to articulate God in that environment. Indeed, should we? You know, there's all sorts of questions around how you connect with someone in that moment. And if you aren't prepared to face the emotions, you will run away and keep your distance from that situation. When all Phil and Lily need is for someone to come alongside them and go, ow. You know? Or to come alongside them and go, I don't understand. Or to come alongside them and go, what about all those, you know, the prophetic words that were spoken about healing that didn't come to pass? Are we going to just brush that under the carpet? Because that's what we do in a world of Gnosticism. And that's what we do in a world where we shut down our emotions. But we've got to be mature enough to journey through the pain. And some of you are amazing at this. Because some of you, um, whether you're here in, in flesh or watching online, you've got your own journeys of dealing with your emotional difficulties. Whether it's bereavement whether it's stuff that happened to you as a child in your past, which is painful. But just being with someone in their pain is a beautiful thing. <clears throat> so the day after baby Evelyn died, I went to see Lily and Phil in their home. And I'm like, I don't know what to say. How could I possibly? I've not been through that situation. I don't know what it's like to lose a child at that stage. There are people in our church family who do know. And, you know, and just so you know, Phil and Lily, we are supporting them. And they've got some great support around them, which is fantastic. But, you know, don't think that, oh, Jim will be all right. He knows what he's doing. He can go, because actually I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm just being a human being. I'm letting them express their emotions, and I'm sitting with them in it going, I'm so sorry. I don't understand. And then if the Holy Spirit reveals things, which he does, you can very gently bring that as a piece of hope. My goal in every situation is to seek to leave people um, with more hope than when they arrived, or when I arrived in that case. So my goal in, was just to hear them, um, to, to in some way obviously to pray with them, to help with some practical things, um, and, uh, but really just to say, listen, I'm here. You can call me at any time. And I'm not the only one. Don't, I'm not trying to say that. Lots of people have been getting alongside uh, Phil and Lily or um, some of you will know I don't know if it's been announced some of you will know Iris and Dan Collins um, sadly Dan passed away uh, on Friday morning uh, Friday afternoon actually um, and you know uh, there's another case where people had been he, had, he died of myeloma um, people were praying for a miracle believing for a miracle and it didn't materialize and so how do we help Iris, on, on the loss of her husband, he, he is, you know, he's not senior senior, but he's, he's seen quite a bit of life. So it's not like losing a child, but it's still painful. It's still difficult. And so how do we, as her brothers and sisters in Christ, come alongside her and be with her? And I know there are people in this room who have, and it's beautiful. And, you know, one of the things she said is I'm so glad, she told me this yesterday, uh, on Friday, I'm so glad I moved to Ashington because I have new friends here who can actually walk with me because they're real and they won't run away and hide. Intimacy with God and intimacy with others is very 
simple. We talked uh, in a few weeks ago about the word intimacy. You can read it as into me see or into me you see. In other words, you're an open book to an extent, and that will depend on who the individual is. But you're not hiding behind a wall of going, everything's okay when it's not. We have to have an environment where we can say, I'm struggling. Right now, I'm in pain. And not just say, we'll make some declarations. But actually, I'm not saying that's wrong. It might be right in the moment, but don't go straight there. Listen, hear, connect. And out of that connection, where you have been able to feel that pain yourself, that's the place to then bring in something further. I remember a guy called Phil Wall. I can't remember what he does. I think he was the church army captain, something like that. I remember him talking about a lady he had, he had met who'd been through a war-torn situation. And, and she came to him, I don't remember which country it was in, and um, she cried. Uh, and he held her in his arms because she'd lost all her family. Um, and she shared some of his story, her, sorry, her story, and as he shared it, tears started to come down his face. And because her cheek was here, the tears started to match her tears. And they fell down her face, sort of joint tears. And he used this to describe the idea that until I have got close enough to her to feel her pain, I have no right to speak into her life. So if ever we're going to get alongside someone, and um, I'll come back to the passage as we close it, but if we're ever going to come alongside somebody because um, they are in need, we have got to be able to somehow uh, feel, and it might be that our feelings aren't fully engaged because we're slightly separate from it, but we should be able to, uh, we have to hear the difficult, painful piece. And um, however, our, we can't determine what our emotions are going to do in that moment. Um, uh, not normally. But there is that whole thing of um, allowing ourselves to be vulnerable enough that we can cry with somebody else. And so long as we've been there, then we are in a good place to be able to bring in something that might seek to bring that element of hope. If you just come in and go, well, the Lord says this, they're just not going to hear it because you haven't heard them. And it's this thing about being known, um, knowing and being known. You know, that's the whole thing, isn't it? Intimacy with God. It's knowing who he is and being known, letting him in to see everything nothing hidden and when it comes to intimacy with the people of God and there are levels there are levels of intimacy of course that I will go to with my family that I won't go to with you but I will be fairly open and I've done it right from here um, but I'm really quite happy to share struggles and difficulties and we mustn't be ashamed of it because the Lord is with us in a struggle and in a difficulty. And if he's with us in it, why can't we be with, it, with others in it? Because he lives inside of us and he wants out. So intimacy with others or in the people of God looks like letting our guards down. And it can be scary. Especially if you're going into an environment where there's terrible pain and confusion. And it can be really difficult and awkward because you just, you don't know what to say. Well, I would say, don't say anything. Say, hey, what's going on? Is there anything you want to share? Just start there. And then just see what comes. And just listen. Oh, that must be really hard. You know, and just reflect back, things like that. Because that shows them that shows anyone that you're, you're a safe place. We don't need all the answers. We don't have them, so let's just be honest about it. 
We don't have all the answers. And it's much better to be honest with someone in their struggle and join them in the confusion of it than it is to, you know, try and think that there's a big solution. Um, so, in this, uh, just to pull this back, um, the struggle I have for you, Paul being in prison, because he's seeking to bring the Colossian church into a much better place where the spirit and the flesh are seen as both being equally important. Um, he says this, For all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged. And you know the word for hearts there? The Greek word, you will know this word probably, the Greek word is cardio. It's where we get all those words like cardiology, cardiovascular, all of that. Connection to the heart. Okay. Um, the word itself, cardio, um, it, it means um, it's the coming together. It's the seat, if you like. This is a good definition. It's the seat of everything that's physical, spiritual, and emotional. Bear in mind what we've just been talking about. The separation of the spirit and the physical and the very word heart that Paul uses on purpose, cardio, is known to be, in the Greek at the time, the emotional seat of everything physical, spiritual, and emotional. It all comes together in one. Where may you be encouraged? In your hearts, where all this comes together. And the nuance here is um, specifically... Um, in this context where it's used in the passage here, it's specifically about emotions, wishes, and desires. The desires of the heart, which often we think of as the flesh in a bad way. But there is a redemption about this. And that's just where I want to bring our closing to on this today. Feelings, the, the feelings of our hearts are really important. Now, how it works is, of course, it's not here. The, the physical heart is here, but it doesn't do any thinking. It's an organ that pumps blood around the body and stuff like that. The heart is actually in here. It's uh, part of your prefrontal cortex. And it's called the um, ancillary cingulate cortex. And that is the center of your um, emotions. And it's what, when we talk about the desires of the heart, we're talking about the, uh, I forget the first word, ancillary cingulate cortex. It's part of the prefrontal cortex. And this battle we have very quickly between the flesh and the spirit, there's something as well, um, the, the ACC, can I just read you something? This is so incredible. I've been reading this book. Um, I'm not very far through it. I've only read three chapters. I really, but what I've read so far it's unbelievable and very exciting. It's called The God-Shaped Brain by Timothy Jennings. That's not the Timothy Jennings um, or who's in London. Um, this is a guy from America. He's a, a, psych a psychiatrist, really high level. And he brings together the understanding of what science is discovering about how the brain works with psychiatry and all the understanding of the human soul. And he brings it together in this stunning book about how... Um, God interacts with us uh, through our brains and it's incredible and there's one quote that I just wanted to read to you today um, oh sorry it's the anterior cingulate cortex that's the word anterior here listen to this brain imaging studies have demonstrated that the more time a person spends in communion, in communion with the God of love the more developed the ACC becomes. That's the heart in the brain. Okay, the more time you spend in communion with God, the more developed the ACC becomes. Not only that, the person experiences decreases in stress hormones, decreases in blood pressure, uh, decreases in heart rate, so the heart rate lowers, and ultimately a decrease in the risk of untimely death. 
The more time you spend in communion with God, science is now saying those things about it. In his presence is life, and science is now proving it. It's flipping amazing. Um, Listen to this, though. Conversely, the more time spent contemplating an angry, wrathful, fear-inducing deity, the more damage in the brain, damage in the brain, hear that, and the more rapidly one's health declines, leading to early death. Now, this is not just some club-together thoughts. This is scientific research which is discovering this stuff. It's absolutely incredible. What we've seen written down in the scriptures 2,000 years ago and even longer is now being proven scientifically. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds has been, you know, discovered to be scientifically truthful. It's amazing. So, um, where that all comes together is... um, I will um, later, I'm doing some, something, I think it's in April or May, I can't remember, about emotional health. And at, at that point, I will talk a little bit more about this concept of how things happen in the brain and where our flesh and our spirit collide and how it happens in here. Because it's really fascinating stuff. We haven't got time to go there now. But the big takeaway from today really is that our hearts be encouraged that, um, you know, as we spend more time in his presence, in intimacy with God, our spiritual heart, our ACC, anterior cingulate cortex, grows. It gets physically bigger, more neurons, etc., added to it. And, um, you know, it changes shape. It's extraordinary the more we spend time in his presence. And so just coming into his presence is amazing. And we'll come more into that. So as we do that, we are more equipped to then be in the presence of others and be useful or helpful because we're able to translate what happens in our walk with the Lord um, into the very environment we find ourselves in. But if we are scared of emotions, and this is the scary thing, your prefrontal cortex will separate from your amygdala and your reasoning won't work. And I'm going to come on to that another time. Okay? You have to combine them. If you separate yourselves from your emotions, this separation happens in your brain about how the brain actually works. And you're unable to effectively help someone uh, uh, that you might be alongside. So don't be afraid of emotions. They have to be part of the whole thing, even if they're scary. Okay? Let me pray. Actually, um, let's... um, Thanks, James. Let's let's stand. Um, As we stand, let's just put our um, hands out in front of us. Oh, what a fun idea. Why don't we just grow our our ACCs right now? Oh! We can do that. Isn't that cool? Literally, we can say, come Holy Spirit. And our heart is growing. Come on, Jesus. How exciting is that? Oh, let's have some ACC time. (laughs) Jesus, we come before you because you are beautiful, as we sang about earlier. You are beautiful beyond description. Too wonderful for words, as that old song from the 80s says. But it's so true. And and so we just recognize your presence here with us right now. And we fix our gaze on the goodness of God. We thank you that you are a God of love, not of fear. Every action you have taken has come through 
uh, your template, which is love, not fear. And as we fix our attention, as we turn our gaze onto the God of love, a God who is good, who loves us completely, both our zeal for the truth and our zeal for your presence, but also all the emotions that we feel. You treasure our emotions, whether they're what we might describe as uh, you know, uh, positive emotions or negative. Not helpful things to use, but Father, you love our emotional being. You journey with us in our most scary places. When we may feel that we have the biggest questions possibly before us, but when we choose to journey that and be honest before you, you meet us because you love us and you love hearing from our heart. And so we welcome, whoa, we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Increase that tangible sense of your presence now in this room. And Lord, just as I was so aware and undone by your love in the opening moments of our service today, I just release that now. A heart-to-heart connection with your loving Father. A heart-to-heart connection with Jesus. A heart-to-heart connection through the Holy Spirit right now. He is good. Lord, you are good. And your mercy endures forever. Thank you. Just in the quiet, allow yourself to express aspects of his goodness. Right now you're getting whole. And you can't avoid it. Whoa! Lord, thank you that the invitation is to become the most whole people we could ever possibly be. Because in you, we bring together all that is true from the Spirit and that world. But all that is true about your creation, broken as it might be. Under the blood of Jesus, it's still perfect. Whoa! And so we invite you, Lord Jesus, take us deeper and further on the journey. That we might be the most whole people the world has ever known, if that was possible. That as we get closer to you, as our brains get healed, as our hearts get healed, as all that happens simply by dwelling on your presence and fixing our gaze upon you and speaking truth about who you are and singing it out. We become what we behold. Not God himself, but image bearers so much more. And we reflect that which we behold. And we look more and more like that which we behold. 
And I just bless everyone in this room, if you're at home listening or wherever you might be listening from. I bless you with a great big heavenly dose of emotional and spiritual health right now. That as you fix your eyes on Jesus, as you fix your eyes on our beautiful Father in heaven, may you grow so much more deeply into the fullness of everything he's called and created you to become. That your hearts, the seat of your physical, emotional, and spiritual life would be enlarged by the presence of our Father. As we grow in intimacy with, with the Father, may we grow in intimacy with one another. May our intimacy... Our intimacy with you look like a reflection. Um, when we are with others, it would be reflected in all that we are as we are with whoever it might be, whether they know you or not, that we might be you to all those around us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys. Um, I'm really excited to explore the aspects of, um, there's a, so much more to this that I'm currently learning about. I don't think I've got all the answers. I haven't. I've just got the bug to go after this stuff. And so you're going to be hearing it from me uh, for probably years to come. But um, I'm really excited about some of this stuff I'm learning from this. And if you do want to get a copy, it's available on Amazon. I think it's about 10 quid. Uh, the God-Shaped Brain by Timothy Jennings, absolutely brilliant. So um, have an amazing week. Thanks for being with us this week. And uh, we will see you either on Thursday or um, uh, during, or maybe Tuesday, God in COVID, if you're around. Uh, that's online though, isn't it? But um, yeah, great to have you with us this morning. Have an amazing week and we'll see you again soon. Take care. Bye. <laughs>